Thank you. Uh, like he mentioned before, my name is Kevin Kubandi. I'm greatly honored um, to be here with you guys. I've gotten the opportunity to uh, get to know John over the past few weeks, and he's just he's just awesome. And it's very clear um, that his leadership is having an impact because just being here from the moment that me and my wife Sarah have been here, we've definitely not only felt the presence of God, but we've definitely felt the love um, from just your leadership, from him, and obviously from you guys right now. So give yourselves a round of applause for being being an awesome, awesome, awesome church. Um, so I, I want to let you guys know a few things uh, about me as I get going. Um, so some of the things I would love for you uh, to know about me is um, I was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo Zaire, which is Central Africa. Um, I moved here about 20 years ago with my family. Uh, we moved to Atlanta, uh, where I met my wonderful wife, Sarah Kubandi, um, who was born in Michigan. And uh, we met each other in Atlanta. Um, and we lived like 15 minutes away from each other. Can we show a picture of my incredible wife? As you can see here, this is, this is my fine wife. Um, uh, and, and as you can tell, I, I bring the chocolate, um, she brings the vanilla, and together we are a swirl. Glory to God. Um, and uh, we're praying and, and you know, um, uh, um, looking forward to having some caramel babies. Um, we're, we're not there yet, but we're practicing. Thank you, Jesus. Marriage is a great thing. Marriage is a great thing. Um, some other things that I would like to let you know. Uh, about me is I grew up in the church, so I, I feel very comfortable in spaces like this. I get excited being in spaces like this. A lot of my life was spent in places like this, but I, I grew up in a African Pentecostal household, okay? So we got some Pentecostals in here. Okay, I got you. Um, I grew up in an African Pentecostal household. And for some of you that are like, I don't know what that means, it simply means this, that this is an example of what it, what it means. Uh, on New Year's Eve, while everybody else went out to party and hang out with their friends, we went to all-night prayers. Um, we spent the whole night worshiping Jesus. My, my mom would often say, we are going to start off the year with Jesus. Okay, no party, Jesus, right? So, and I grew up in a strict, it was a very strict Christian household, and this is how, this is how serious it was. My, my mom would, would promise, I, I have two sisters, Raisa and Gloria, and you're going to hear a little bit about them um, as I continue speaking, but my, my sister, Raisa, when we got near our teenage age, uh, my mom would always promise she would never force us. To this day, she swore she never forced us to ever go to church. She often used to tell us every morning, she was like, Kevin and Raisa, I am not going to force you to go to church, but when I start the car, you better be in it. <laughs> so since I valued my life, I was always in that car first thing Sunday morning. Um, some, some other things that were just silly about our household, but, but also very serious because my mom was very, wanted to raise us in godly ways and in a very strict um, Christian household. Is, um, when I would get ready in middle school, I had one of these uh, radios that was also an alarm clock. Um, so when I would turn off the alarm clock, I could turn on the music and get ready listening to music. Now, this was way back before you had all the music on your phone. You had like a thousand songs. Like The only way that you could get music was either you bought the CD, you burnt the mixtape, or you got the bootleg, okay? That was the only way. That was the only, <laughs> only LimeWire, okay? Like these, these kids don't know how to struggle, okay? They have no idea, right? So, so when I would get ready in the morning, I would turn on the radio and, and, 
and listen, and I will be hoping for some of my favorite songs to come on. And then this one time, Nelly came on. He had recently dropped a song called Hot in Here. So I'm in the shower, and I'm like, this is perfect, okay? It's getting hot in here, right? So take off all your clothes. And I'm already in the shower, so I'm adding lyrics to the song, right? I am getting so hot, I already have my clothes off. Next thing I hear, a knock on the door. My African mom is like, hey, Kevin, what are you listening to? What are you listening to? Get out of the shower. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready. I, like, I decide to get ready a little bit quicker. I dry off. I get out. I go downstairs to talk to my mom. She's waiting for me. She's like, Kevin, what music are you listening to? You're listening to secular music in my house? Hot in here? Hot in here? Hot in here? Kevin, do you know what is hot? Hell. I did not come to America for this. Over my life body, this is a house of God, not in this house, right? And in that moment, I realized, okay, wow, this is, this is, this is really serious. So I'm just going to have to listen to my music in secret like every other teenager, right? <laughs> but but, but there's, it's funny, as I was growing up, and I even got into the car, and my baby sister's looking at me, and it's like, ah, Kevin, you're listening to secular music? What kind of Christian are you? And she gave me the stare, and I was like, but, but, but as, I, as silly as that is, now, that's, it's a silly story, and, and, but, but it still had an impact um, on, on my life, and, and it made me realize something. It's funny, even though that was silly, it's funny the things that Christians argue about amongst themselves, right? It's, it's funny the fights that we have about uh, amongst ourselves on what music is it okay to listen to and what music is it not okay to listen to. For some of us, we have different types of arguments. We have arguments on, well, how, how, how should we baptize people, right? The, the, like, the, does someone have to be fully emerged or is it okay for us to sprinkle babies, right? Um, like, it, like how, do we, how do we go about um, when it comes to, like, spiritual giftings? Like, we, we have arguments amongst ourselves when it comes to spiritual giftings of, of what Paul talks about spiritual giftings. And one of them that comes up is, oh, when, when is it okay to speak in tongues, right? I should have bought a Honda, bought a, bought a Kia. Like, like, when is it okay for us to have those types of conversations? Do we do it at church or do we do those things privately? For some of us, for some of us in, the, in, in the church, in the Big C church, we argue about what version of the Bible is okay for us to read. There's some of us that literally said, the only Bible that you can read is a King James Version Bible. It has to sound like a Shakespeare sonnet. Does God love thee or does God love thee not, right? Like we go back and forth. And, and even though we, we catch ourselves having these arguments and we can laugh about these things, the reality of it is the whole world is watching us argue about these things. And one of the, and one of the criticisms about the church is that we spend so much talking about what we believe there are oftentimes that few people actually see us. One of the biggest criticisms that we get is that oftentimes there are few people that see us actually live out what we believe, actually walk out what we believe, that oftentimes people will hear us talk about praying for the homeless and caring for them. But, but how many of our churches, if we can be honest, in the Big C Church, how many of our churches are safe places for homeless people to walk in? How many of our churches are safe places for homeless people to feel like they can have fellowship and, and, and be known 
in this place and be cared for in places like this. Oftentimes when, when, when people see the Big C Church and they hear us talk about things and, and carry signs and talk about abortion, and don't get me wrong, that is a very important subject for us to have. But, 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 but how many, how many as, as loud and vocal as we are about abortion, how many people know about our care for single moms? How loud and how vocal are we about raising families up in the church and people knowing that if, no matter what your background is, no matter what, what happened before, that this is a safe place for you to raise your children, right? This, and, and, for, and, for some, and for some people, it's really hard for them to even think about church, think about going to church or being involved with the church or being involved with God's kingdom. Because oftentimes when they look at church, and it may be you, that if you're new to the space, or it may be somebody else that you know that is close to you, oftentimes when they look or think about church, they're like, I don't know if I want to invest my time or my resources in church. Because oftentimes we see these churches that have these awesome buildings, and these awesome spaces, but the community around them is decaying. That the people in their city are hurting while these churches are growing. And it looks like they care more about what's happening inside the building than what's happening around the community. And, and, and here's the thing I, I, I want you to know. That there's good news. There's good news because we're not the first people that have experienced this. We're not the first people to have gone through a generation or an era like this. That the actual first generation of the church went through something very similar. A guy by the name of James, who is the brother of Jesus, which by the way, let's just pause there for a second. Okay. Could you imagine your sibling thinking that, well, or you thinking your sibling is your Lord and Savior? Come on. How many of y'all have siblings? Let me see by a show of hands. Now think about this. Think of that sibling in your mind and think about that person being God and you saying, I worship you. Like, like, like I, I wouldn't. I know my sisters, right? So to me, by itself, the fact that James is writing this letter, the fact that James has put his faith in Jesus is just evidence of the fact of Jesus really being God. And as James is looking at the first generation church, he's seeing this common problem that I have just described. He's seeing a group of people that, that boost themselves up by the knowledge of God, but yet the, their actions, the way they treat each other is so far than what Jesus had called them to. As a matter of fact, he says in, in um, James chapter 2 that they had ignored the royal law. And what was the royal law? He describes it as loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And we have a group of people, a group of churches that he's writing this letter to that have ignored loving their neighbors and caring for them. So he decides to address it with this letter. And, and I'm going to read uh, a portion of this letter that we're going to anchor ourselves on. Um, this morning, and uh, it's, it's found in James chapter 2. Specifically, this church had, had been privileging the rich, had been ignoring the poor, and had forgotten about their community around them. And James, what he tells them here in James chapter 2, verses 14, he says this. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says, I have faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save them? So what he's saying is, what good is it for us to show up here on, on, on Sunday mornings? 
for us to know every word in scripture and know every song on Caleb, but, but, but ignore our brothers, ignore our sisters, not care for them, for, for us not to follow the example that Jesus, that Jesus set out for us by serving others. What good is our faith? Then in verse 15, he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? If we come into spaces like this and we pray for people and we, and we encourage each other, but then we go out and we never speak to our neighbor about, about who Jesus is. Not even, not even, and sometimes it's the best evangelism is not even in words, but it's in deeds. How many of us actually invite our neighbors over and show them how we live? How many of us are actually invested in the lives of the people that are around us, that decide to step into our family and our relatives' lives and say, instead of me criticizing you, how about I step in and start helping you? How about I step in and come around you and put my arm around you? What, what good is it for us to pray for people and to tell them to go in peace if we're actually not willing to step into action? Verse 17, he later on carries on and says, so also faith by itself. If it does not have works, is dead. I don't know about you. I've seen so many churches that, that spend so much time, so much time focusing on their core. And they spend all this time trying to create awesome environments for their space. And I think that's good. I think, I think church should be enjoyed, not endured. All right? I think, I think it is good that the space is, is awesome but how much more important is it for this gathering of people to have an impact outside of this room? Oftentimes when you see churches that are so much more focused on Sunday morning than they are about having an impact in their community, those churches create these holy circles. And as they create these holy circles, only a few people can come in because you got to think like them, you got to talk like them, you got to act like them, you got to walk like them. And, and they create these circles and they get older and they get older and they get older and what happens to those churches? They die off. Because they were way more concerned about creating these circles where no one can come in, no one can infiltrate them, no one can, can contaminate them, no one can mess around with what they had going on, that they ignored the people around them. And, and because they lacked impact, they faded away. That is not the type of faith that God calls us to, not a type of faith that lets people, that, that lets churches and our people die in them. But in verse 18, he carries on, he says, but someone will say, you have faith, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, I, I want to make this very, very, very clear. James is not saying that your works are the key to your salvation. That is not what he's saying. What James is saying here is that because of his faith in Jesus, through his faith, by the grace of God, he is saved by that. That's what saves him, right? So it's faith through the grace of Jesus' finished work, he is saved. And because of the work of Jesus, it compels him 
to love others. It compels him to step into works. Faith that is truly faith makes you act. It leads you towards people. If you have experienced and encountered the love of Jesus, the byproduct of that is to love and to serve like Jesus has loved and served you. So what he's saying is my faith implores me to act on the behalf of others. But what I love about what he says in the same breath is that he's not, he's not, he's not condemning people in the same breath. He's like, okay, if you want to do, if you want to live out your faith that way, you do you, boo-boo. You do you. But as for me, I'm going to let my faith compel me to act on others, for, act for others. I'm going to let my faith lead me to helping others. I'm going to let my faith lead me to serving others. I'm going to let my faith lead me not only to talk about Jesus, but to show people Jesus with my actions. I'm going to let my faith lead me in that way. So here's, here's, here's what, I, what I'm going to ask of you is, as I'm, as I'm close, closing in, and we can have the man come, come on up. Um, I'm not going to be here too long. I'm a, I, I, I may have grown up in the African Pentecostal church, but I got trained in a white church, so I'm going to be quick. So I'm going to be quick. I know you guys got to go to lunch. I got, <laughs> um, one of the things that, that I, I want to challenge all of us here while, I, while, I, while me and my wife have been here um, is our prayer, the reason why we came here is we didn't want to just serve one church. We were praying for the big church, the kingdom of God to move. And my hope is that as people go around Sonoma and as they start hearing about what God is doing in this community, that they would not see a community that, that is more focused on talking about loving and helping the homeless but not being present, not in this house, not in this house, not in God's house, but that we will be a community of believers all over Sonoma that are quick to, to serve and love those that are hurting, that those that need help, that are quick to love and serve the homeless. And whatever capacity that looks like with wisdom, that we would be those types of people. While other people will complain about the next generation and say they don't, they don't listen or they don't care or they're not invested in the future of this community, not in this house. That this will be, that this will be a community and this will be a people that is willing to mentor, pour in, love, pray for, and support the next generation of Sonoma. That the church will be the place where young people turn to to find direction and purpose and life. Where other people will, will talk about divide and, and, and separation and, 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 and how we're so polarized that the church will be more united than ever before. That the church will be a place where people can find community and find togetherness. That not in this house will there be division, but they, that we would be one as Jesus had prayed for us to be. That's my prayer. The last thing that James talks about, and I'm going to read this um, for you guys. In James chapter 2, verses 26, he says, For as the body, for as the body apart from the Spirit is dead... So also faith apart from works is dead. What he, what he simply is saying this is the same way as your body without a spirit is dead. In that same breath, your faith body without, the spirit, without works or move of the spirit of God working through you 
is dead. That, that if we can come in this place and we can sing songs and we could listen to sermons and we, we could have fellowship amongst each other, but we're not impacting the community around us. All we did was put on a show. All we did was put on a show for an hour. We played Sunday morning. We played church for an hour instead of being the church. And what he's really asking us and calling us and imploring all of us to do is to live. And how we can live is by what we learn in spaces like this, they impact our Monday, our Tuesday, our Wednesday, our Thursday, our Friday, our Saturday. What we learn in spaces like this, what, we ha what happens in spaces like this radically transforms the way that we live and that people around us notice that we are different, that there's something on us that is alive and that life would draw people from wherever they're at because they'll look at us and say, man, I want what they have. There is just something about them. They don't move like everybody else. They don't talk like everybody else. They don't invest in this community like everybody else. They don't care for others like everybody else. They don't love like everybody else. There's something about it, something about them, and they are alive in it. And my hope for you is for you not to spend your life going from one service to another service, going from one day to another day. But for my hope for you is for you to live that your faith would lead you to live in God. It will be a light, will be a light unto others.